Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1541540, and you know what that means if you are a regular listener. That is a 10th episode show, and today our guest is a famous actor. Yes, he will be on talking about, not about acting, not about Hollywood, but talking about the movement to defund police. Remember, a 10th episode show is something of general interest, not all about income property, the most historically proven asset class in the entire world, and the most tax favored asset class in America, and the most, in a good way, debt-favored asset class in America. This is about good debt. Good debt, it's good. Okay, so we will dive into that in just a moment, but before we get to our guest today and we talk about the defunding issue, let's talk about another one of my many predictions that has come true. Yes, Another prediction has come true. So yes, another prediction has come true. And what is that? I'm looking at a Globestreet.com article right in front of my eyes, predicting something that I was predicting months ago, which in COVID time means years ago. And that is that there is a sales increase for large homes People want bigger. Still, small and medium-sized homes saw their prices increase more than larger homes, likely due to buyers prioritizing affordability. But the trend is clear. People want more space. Why do they want more space? Because the home is the center of the universe. People are staying home. They want those extra, not just one, but two home offices for the two adults. And they want extra home office space for the kids to study. You know, one of our team members is talking, every time I talk to him, he's talking about how, oh, his kids are starting school on Zoom. Yes, they're studying from home. And by the way, just a commentary here, folks. This is a total ripoff for parents. Why? Because guess what? The teachers don't have to work as much. The schools don't have to teach as much. And they are not getting the benefits of physical education, of going to school, of socialization, of the cost of running the school, the physical 
property of the school. Guess, look at all the money they're saving. No need for a janitor if school's closed. No need for a lot of upkeep and a lot of maintenance people. And no need to run the air conditioners and run the lighting. Hey, when I was a kid, I know. I walked to school and it was uphill both ways in the Southern California snow. Yes. <laughs> Just kidding, of course. But I'll tell you, I dreamt of the idea of having air conditioning in our classroom. I remember once I saw another school that was a modern building with air conditioning. And I thought, wow, that must have been so cool. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Must have been really cool. You know, when we were studying, we would be sweating when it was sweltering. And sometimes it really was sweltering without air conditioning. And, you know, we didn't have air conditioning in school. None of my classes had air conditioning until I got to uh, Long Beach City College. Then you had air conditioning, even in community college. But none of my school environments had air conditioning. Not junior high, not high school, not elementary school. Yeah, none of them. Well, actually, I take that back. One elementary school I went to did have air conditioning because it was more like in an office building. But all the other schools, there was no air conditioning. You just open the window. Suffering. Yes. It's funny how when I got into real estate, I sold a lot of properties that didn't have air conditioning. And, you know, I remember once I made a mistake in putting the property into the MLS on my listing, and I had to pay for an air conditioner. Well, I didn't have to. No one was suing me or anything, but uh, because I've never been sued by a client ever. But I thought it was the right thing to do. So I just paid for their air conditioner because I made the mistake. I put it in the MLS. It said it had, I said it had air conditioning. It didn't. Eh, my bad. So there, there was my air conditioning. I bought them. Yep. There you go. So anyway, we didn't have air conditioning in our school. But back to the subject at hand, Jason, the bigger homes. So the schools are saving a fortune, yet the parents are still paying the same amount of money in taxes, namely property taxes. And if they're a tenant, the property tax is passing through to them in the form of rent. It's the same thing. The cost is always there. Okay? Properties, corporations, they're just pass-through entities. They pass everything through. Okay. Trickle-down economics, you know? So... Home buyers searching for larger homes as they look for more space to live and work amid the pandemic. The typical home that sold in the four weeks ending August 16th was 3.7% larger. That's 1,772 square feet, to be exact, than the typical home sold a year earlier, according to a report from Redfin. That's in contrast with the point. 4% average year-over-year -year growth in home size from 2015 to 2019. Meanwhile, we know the market is booming. There's no secret there. Sales were up 21.2% year-over-year nationwide for large homes in July. Now, large homes, they're going to define that in a moment, so don't worry. We're going to tell you what they mean by large homes. Compared with 10% for medium-sized homes, and 2.3% for small homes. The report said, noting that home buyers are also searching for larger homes on their website, okay? For its analysis, they said it divided single-family homes into small, <laughs> you ready for this? Are you ready for this? 
Here's what they consider to be a small home. Wow. Really? This, this has got to include places like San Francisco and New York City, I'm guessing. A small home starts at 300 square feet. Yes, just 300 square feet. And goes up to 1,500 square feet. So from 300 to 1,500 square feet. From a small hotel room size to 1,500 square feet is considered a small home. A medium-sized home is 1,500 to 3,000 square feet. And a large home is considered 3,000 to 5,000 square feet. So one agent says, quote, people want bigger bigger houses, bigger properties. And, you know, this is no surprise here, folks. It's called Home is the Center of the Universe, as Jason Hartman predicted back in February. You don't believe it? Go back and listen to the podcast. You know what I love about podcasting? It's all on the record, and it's all date-stamped. So convenient. But we really need someone to go in and get all these quotes and all find out all the predictions that came true because there'd even be more of them, I'm sure. I'm sure. But there'd be a few wrong ones too. Not everything's right. So anyway, the point is the home is the center of the universe. And, you know, large is a relative term, right? It's not just the way they broke it down, obviously, but it could just mean getting out of that little apartment or that little condo or that little tiny place in New York City into a single family home that's 1,200 square feet. To many people, that is considered a large home. Now, uh, good news for all the people that were really upset about the refi fee that was supposed to go into effect September 1st. They've delayed that, might have mentioned it before. It looks like that's going to be postponed until probably December. So there you go. Now, another article, also from the same source. I'm really into Globe Street today, aren't I? I, I had an article in Globe Street. They, uh, they called me up to interview me for an article once. Anyway, this one says, limited options persist for low-income renters. Now, define low, of course. Variable meaning for variable people, right? Aren't we all just variable people? Of course we are. We adapt to our circumstances and we vary ourselves. So this one says... Well, earlier affordable housing analysis have shown strong income growth for renters, these figures are skewed by the influx of high-income households. See? Skewing the stats, right? Because a lot of high-income households have started renting. And I venture to say that the reason for this is exactly what I experienced. Remember I told you a couple years ago, when I moved to Florida, I tried to rent a high-end home for myself, and there was just so little selection. It was absolutely terrible. Why was that? Well, my thesis was that all of those high-end rental homes were all converted to short-term rentals, sucking all of that inventory out of the rental market because you know I love to be a renter of a high-end property. It is a great deal, phenomenal rent-to-value ratio for the renter. In fact, I'll just mention this, not like I haven't taught you this before, but repetition is the mother of skill, as the saying goes. One of the questions on our live stream yesterday, we have our coffee talk with Jason every Sunday morning, 
And one of the questions was, should I buy a home in Orange County? And as you know, I'm from Orange County, spent most of my adult life there, uh, made a ton of money uh, with my real estate company there, just as a traditional agent there, sold lots of properties, had a really big, wonderful career there. And I'm sorry I had to leave California, but you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to hearken back to Ronald Reagan's speech when he was president of the Screen Actors Guild and he left the Democrat Party after being a lifelong Democrat. And he said, I did not leave the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party left me. I'm going to use the same idea. And I'm going to say, I didn't leave California. California left me. And I think a lot of people feel that way. In fact, I think millions of people feel that way. That's a sad state of affairs, folks. It really is. But hey, it is the way it is. And we've got to adapt to the circumstances and be realistic about the circumstances in which we find ourselves and make do the best we can. And we've certainly talked about that over the years. But but this is interesting, right? So, you know, a high-end property, great deal for the renter. I had this live stream question yesterday. Oh, yeah, that's where I was going. I almost lost my place there. Senior moment. I can say that. I'm getting old enough to, to say I had a senior moment, okay? And anyway, you know, this question was, person asked, who's probably listening now, you know, should I buy a home in Orange County? No, you should not buy a home in Orange County. Even if it goes up in value, you'd be much better off buying eight rental properties in three diverse markets, linear markets, because that's what you could buy for about the same price. You know, an $800,000 Orange County home or eight rental properties. Maybe you don't buy eight, maybe you buy six. Maybe they're a little more expensive, but you could buy eight, okay? And your your rent-to-value ratio, you can rent that $800,000 home for about $4,000 a month in Orange County. Much better deal to be a renter. And now that they're not all Airbnbs because the short-term rental market, the Airbnb market has been slaughtered in most places. It is a bloodbath. All the people that were making a fortune with Airbnb. Yeah, not doing so well now, sadly. But they're adapting and they're figuring it out, you know? So, and it's uneven, like everything, right? Some people are doing okay if they're in driving distance and they offer a change of environment. I've talked about it before. Anyway, there's a kind of a new Airbnb formula that it does kind of work, okay? So it's not all bad, but for most Airbnb people, they've experienced a pretty rocky road, and they've converted a lot of these higher-end properties back into long-term rentals. So the market is not so distorted, and there are better opportunities to rent a high-end home. So this is interesting because it just shows, the article says, fewer than 10% of all rental units are affordable to low-income renter households. Those earning 50% or less of the median renter income every year since 2010, said a new report from Rental Affordability Reexamined. Or no, that was the title of the report, not who it's from. Okay. Oh, this is research from Freddie Mac uh, Multifamily Housing uh, Division. And so this just goes to show you that there is going to be consistent demand for basic bread-and-butter housing, okay? Now, let me give you the actual numbers, okay? So you'll understand those numbers. Median rental income 
is about 46% lower than family income, a figure derived from both renter and owner income that's known as as the Federal Housing Finance Agency, the FHFA. We've talked about them before many, many times. Median renter income in 2018 was $41,000 a year. Now, I think that's household income. Compared to a weighted average, according to the FHFA, uh, of income across all metropolitan statistical areas, or MSAs, of $76,300. So, surprise, 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 you know, renters don't make as much money as homeowners. Duh. Anyone could have probably figured that out. But it, it just shows that there will be a lot of demand for affordable rental housing. So, Congratulations to you. Yes, congratulations to you. Dear investors, listeners, you're in a great position. And like I said 10 years ago, and I'm renewing my saying from 10 years ago because it's up for renewal. We've got to renew it every decade. So here we go again. The demographics coming at the rental housing market over the next 10 years are nothing short of phenomenal. Yes, they are. They're great. So congratulations to you. Go to jasonhartman.com and check out the properties in our referral network and what we have available for you. And uh, we can connect you with the right people needed to help you build a fantastic income property portfolio or increase the size of your existing portfolio. And by the way, I have to tell you, I just made one of my own deals that I'm getting pretty excited about to start doing my own big buying campaign. You know, like I've told you, sometimes I feel like the shoemaker whose kids don't have any shoes or the kids have holes in their shoes, whatever the metaphor is, because uh, I'm so busy spending time working for you that I don't have time to do enough of my own investments. But I'm super excited because I've got a plan now to put about another million dollars into the market and very excited more to come on that. So I think it's a really great time to be investing in properties. All right, without further ado, let's get to our guest. Of course, as I always say, reach out to us if you need us, jasonhartman.com or in the US, you can call us on the good old fashioned telephone at 1-800-HARTMAN. Here is our guest for the 10th show, and let's talk about this very disconcerting defunding trend. Here we are. It's my pleasure to welcome Elon Sorlovich, and he has become well-known recently for standing up for police and being outspoken on the issue of identity politics. Elon, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? It's good to have you. So you're coming to us from my hometown of Los Angeles, right? Yes, sir. Excellent. And did you sort of make your mark as an actor or what was the genesis of of your career? Combination of the acting and the watch company. Mm -hmm. I started acting when I was young. I just always liked it. I liked expressing myself. Art was always something that was interesting to me. So I'd always been involved in that space. And I've been lucky. I've had a pretty good career. It was a lot of work. I got accepted on scholarship to a school in New York. And then I ended up on some TV shows and then I had a really rough period where I couldn't get anything. And then lately it's been on a good upward trajectory. And my watch company, I started about eight, nine years ago, and I've always treated it as if they're art pieces you wear on your wrist. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky there as well. It's gone well. Good, good stuff. So is being in The Walking Dead, is that your most recent part? 
No, I did The Walking Dead, and then I've done a bunch of parts since then. I was on a in a movie called Deepwater Horizon. I was in The Big Short, which was mm-hmm. an Oscar winning film. Yeah, I, Big uh, Short was great. We talk about it all the time <laughs> to our listeners <laughs> because we we cover so many financial topics. Yeah, yeah and then I was in a Netflix series called Slasher, where I was one of the main actors, which is an anthology series. And right now I'm on another show, which got put on hold with coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So. Good stuff. Okay, so share with us some of your thoughts on police. Uh, I mean, this is obviously in the news nowadays. It seems the world has gone crazy with identity politics. And I think we're going down a dangerous path on multiple fronts. This defunding of police departments, very, very dangerous idea. And identity politics is really, it, it can be very misleading and it can really obscure the truth. What are your thoughts? Well, I think anytime you classify people based on their race, based on their sexual orientation, based on their gender, I think you're doing a disservice to humanity. I think that's an easy way to dehumanize each other. That's mm-hmm. a good way to segregate each other. It's also yeah. a good way to uh, to attack freedom of speech, because if you're not an individual, what you say fundamentally doesn't matter. You're represented by your group, mm-hmm. right? If if I'm defined by, let's say my mother, she escaped Baghdad, Iraq. So Mm -hmm. let's say I'm defined by that. That's my number one identity now. That's what defines me. And all my views have to come from the same kind of history and the same and the group that represents that struggle or whatever that is. Then me as an individual has no real opinion. Right. I don't have any type of, you know, self-fulfillment in the world. I'm defined by this. And so we're doing that to everyone. Right. We're saying this is your background or this is your skin color. This is whatever that thing. And so we're stealing people's freedom of expression, their freedom to think for themselves. And we see the negative effects of it very quickly. When you dehumanize people, it makes it very easy to be violent toward them Mm -hmm. or to put them down or to not have a free exchange of ideas. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's interesting because and, you know, you're making me think of one of my favorite quotes from Ayn Rand, which you probably know about what I'm about to say is, you know, that there there is no such thing as classifying people in groups. There's no such thing as group rights. And that's why identity politics is a completely misleading idea. There are only individual rights because the smallest minority in the world is the individual. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're classified by a group, of course, you have to take on every supposed belief that group has, mm-hmm. and you are stuck in your history. And you alluded to that, but but expand on that idea. Well, I mean, it's, it's essentially just that once you have, once you're defined, essentially, like you just said, I, Ayn Rand put it perfectly, the individual is the is the ultimate form of freedom, is the ultimate place to define rights. The end result of identity politics, when broken down more and more and more and more, is that you realize inevitably, right, that someone's an individual. Mm-hmm. You, if you took identity politics to the highest degree, to the, to, to the millionth degree, and looked for every difference that you could form a group based off of, it would get smaller and smaller and smaller until you realize this individual here is defined by all these unique qualities. That's where the beauty of humanity comes in. And we've also tied in this intersectional approach now where you're not allowed to only care about your own group. You now have to adopt the views of other groups which fit into the hierarchy of identity politics. In other words, if I want to go save the ocean, I also have to care about LGBTQ and I have to care about this. It can't just be about the cause I'm doing. Right. And yes, so tying into that issue you were talking about, history is once you perceive yourself and once you define yourself based on your history, if that may be oppressive or that may be one that is full of tragedy. You see no opportunity for yourself in the future. You do not see yourself as having authority over your own life. And once you don't see yourself as having authority over your own life, you can't succeed. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're at the whim of everyone else. Mm -hmm. I'm in my position because the world put me here. I'm in my position because society is unfair. I'm in my position because of my identity, because of my history. I have no way out. 
And if you can truly get people to believe that, then you can actually get them to not have opportunity, to not excel. Right. And and what's so fascinating and just so wrong about this is that the people who are outraged, mostly on the left, of course, are the ones that are clamoring for rights. And yet mm-hmm. they are actually defeating their own cause, assuming their cause is legitimate in the first place, which... Yeah. I would argue that the co- it's never really about the cause. It's about something else, possibly. But, uh, you know, your thoughts? Well, there's two elements to that. There's kind of the element of it that... So the mass percentage of people out there don't necessarily have insidious intentions. There is a small percentage of people who hijack these groups or who who are behind these groups, who may be funding these groups, who have, in, you know, more malicious intent and have... If I were to say, honestly, the leader of BLM openly came out and expressed that she's a Marxist and that she's a trained Marxist, so, I mean, there are people who have other ideals that they're trying to push on society. You see on the BLM website, for example, they're trying to break down the, the nuclear family. They openly don't mention fathers on their website when they talk about the family structure. They specifically talk about everyone else, but not fathers. And so, of course, there are people within organizations that have malicious intent. The more dangerous or not malicious in their view, they just want to restructure society in their vision, which is Marxism, whatever it may be. But the vast majority of people are persuaded under the guise of good intention. These are good-hearted people. And uh, what appeals to them is these ideals, these ideals of a perfectly equal world. Let's say a world without gun, a world where we don't need police. These are things that people look at. And if you're, they're very empathetic and they're very sensitive and they're very drawn in by these things, they go, yeah, I really want to support this because I believe in this idealistic world. They can't disconnect themselves from the reality of what's going on. I mean, you hear the term a lot, useful idiots. I hate to say it. In some way, that's what it is because right, they're not. It, it is look. that way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's a great comparison. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that's what we see. We see a bunch of people out there who are going out and, ch- and they also just want to be a part of something. They want to feel like they're, they're, right. yeah. they have value. The title of, I mean, you're in show business. The title of James Dean's famous old movie is kind of perfect. It's like rebels without a cause, right? They, they have no real cause. They don't even know what they're protesting for, so many of them. And yet, it, they just want to be part of something. It's a sad state of affairs that we all feel, you know, so like empty that we need to just join a movement, even if it's not the right movement. They're tearing down statues of Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. They're tearing down Holocaust memorials. Right. And I mean, what does that have to do with anything? It has nothing to do with anything. And, no. and, and the most ironic of them all would be Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the, the person who freed the slaves and brought oh, no, the country together. Yeah. I mean, that's just so... It's well, unless you look at it from your perspective yeah. or our perspective that we were talking about earlier, which there are people who have the intention of rebuilding kind of the foundation of America. And if you look at it from that perspective, the best way to do that is to erase history. Right. And then to destabilize, cause anarchy, all these things happening. If you look at it from a kind of structured point of view, I, I recently talked about how there was a, a attack on objective truth, mm-hmm. how society has systematically, our groups in society have systematically broke down objective truth under the guise of social justice or political correctness or whatever this may be to the point where you know multiple things no longer have meaning across the board the idea that far as to say this there was a male rapist who identified as a female and got put into a female prison and raped and sexually assaulted 22 more women 
Oh because my gosh, this is it's crazy. a true story. People can go look on Snopes. Yeah. You know, right. Snopes is arguably more left leaning. They can go research well, this. This Snopes happened. is funded by George Soros, I hear. So, so you can't yeah, believe so even they anymore. are putting it out, right? And so, if you look at how we've di- so because everything is relative, mm-hmm. right? If gender truly doesn't exist, if biology does not matter on any level, then these things are acceptable. There's an MMA fighter who went as a male, who could not make it as a male fighter, terrible fighter as a male, mm-hmm. became a female MMA fighter, fought a pretty high level female fighter, and cracked and broke her skull in their fight. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so there's certain objective truths. Reality will not allow you to play this game. But if you keep trying to push it and push it and push it, and there's obviously people trying to do this across the board with very different, every aspect of society is under attack. We don't need police. It, everything, history is kind of revisionist now. Well, well, you know, what's interesting about the we don't need to police, do you know who stands to be the biggest victim of defunding police department? Women. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the savage nut jobs out there can just run roughshod and pillage and rape and do whatever mm-hmm. they want if the police aren't there to stop it. And then you look at the gun rights issue related to this. If people can't have guns and they can't have police, what well, are that's they the do? irony here? The biggest argument the left has always made is that the government could never be corrupt enough again. Like they always laugh at you when you say, listen, I believe in gun rights because I believe that fundamentally the Constitution was right in that this, the population should be able to protect itself against a potentially oppressive government and that that kind of keeps things in check. And they've always laughed, made jokes about people who say that, oh, yeah, you're going to do this. You're going to take over. This. What do we see today? That mm-hmm. argument cannot be used anymore. Right. What do we see? The push for no more police. We see autonomous zones. We see mass mobs going to people's homes. And how are they not taking over the home? I don't know if you saw this video recently of those, that little old couple who came out of their home. They're very rich. They live on an estate. People went into their front gate, went onto their property. We're talking about a mob of people threatened to burn down their home, kill their dog and do all this stuff. The, the husband came out with an AR. The wife came out with, I don't know what kind of gun. It was a little handgun. And they were able to hold people off. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to convince me at this. And this, by the way, the mob is being protected by politicians at this point. So the government is endorsing mob mentality. Right. You're not going to tell me that guns from this day forward, I never want to hear that argument again, that the government could be so corrupt that we don't that we need guns. So why is the government enforcing mob mentality? I have my own ideas, but I'd like to hear yours first. Well, I mean, it's for one, just objectively speaking, if I were to look at the timing, it's an election year. Right. Right. The more chaos they can cause right now, the more they can put Hurt it on the Trump incumbent. Though. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And so I believe that's part of it. I also believe that there are, like we said, there's people who want to destabilize the country. I can see, again, objectively speaking, I see how multiple areas of the country have been attacked. It's on a social level or art even has been attacked. It's controlled. If you look at school, the notion that school is objective at this point to me, education is false. We have 95 percent far left professors. The type of stuff taught in schools to my own niece and nephews that I've seen is so I believe beyond just the police and beyond just like we spoke about earlier, I believe there's ill intent behind it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, nobody's allowed to stop the party of their own voters. So the party being the riots and look who that voting block is. Right. It's all Democrat. It's 100 percent Democrat voting block. So, you know, those are all that's Joe Biden's biggest campaign rally ever. $4 $4 billion Black Lives Matter raised, I think, in two weeks. $4 wow. billion. Dollars. Wow. And by the way, their their page, the money goes directly to Act Blue or whatever that thing is, which funds the Democrats. Right. I mean, that's why no politician is willing to speak up. If you look at politicians respond to their motivation, which is 
to be the next party in control or to have control. If they see an organization, let's say Black Lives Matter, whatever the organization is that can help them gain control, that has power in society, that has social sway, they will allow it to do whatever it needs to do because that will get them to where they want to be. And we do see that. It's it's a sad state of affairs. Logic and reason has left the building. What are we going to do? I mean, there there seems to be this massive lack. You know, when I, I go on social media and I, I read these posts, occasionally I engage in them. I mean, the, for the past 12 years that I've been on social media, I mean, I am astonished at the lack of critical thinking ability. Just... Yeah cannot think critically about anything like when i went to school you took debate and critical thinking as a way to improve your critical thinking skills so that you could understand how to reason things and know what actual absolute truth was but now that no now it's about indoctrinating people yeah i mean 50 percent of millennials or more don't believe in freedom of speech i mean it's not about exchange of ideas it's not about debate And so I don't know what you do. What I do see, which is definitely the wrong answer, is complacency. I see people scared to speak up. We've kind of given up on our freedom of speech, not out of, you know, legislation or regulation against it. We've given up out of it, out of social pressure. So we're just caving in. We're saying we're being weak about this. People should be out on the street being willing to say what they think. People should be out on the Internet being willing to say what they think. At this point, the reason people don't is because no one else is willing to do it. So if no one else is willing to do it and you're, you got to be the first one, you're scared your life's going to be ruined because we see this every time someone speaks out. I, mean, I felt like it was a risk just putting out a, a positive video of police. I felt like that could destroy my company. I felt like my family could actually be in danger. My brother called me up. He goes, look, people may dox you for doing this. They make, you know, this, and that's the truth. That's the world we live in nowadays. But, but aren't these the um, tolerant people? <laughs> well, that's the hypocrisy of it. They're, they're not actually, of course, we know they're not actually yeah. tolerant. And they do it under the guise of being tolerant. They do it under the guise of being the, the moral authority on a subject. And so it's very dangerous because it's not blatant. You know, you look at, uh, let's say, a far right white supremacist racist guy. He's kind of transparent. He's telling you what he thinks. Right, he's exactly. Trying, That's a good he's point. He's not trying to sway yeah. you through a, hey, you know, like yeah. what you see on the left is this mainstream ideology of, of obsession with race, of obsession with identity of anti-capitalist ideals, of whatever they have to do to have control. And in my opinion, that is not the right way to approach things. The danger is that it's appealing to a mass percentage of the population because, again, it's under the guise of an ideal. When I hear the term Black Lives Matter and I look at rate, the history of racism in the country and the history of problems we've had in the country, I go, yes, absolutely. But, but it's not just the U.S. They act as though the U.S. is the only country that did that. I mean, you know, there are slaves today in the modern world. The, the biggest slave traders were in the Middle East. I mean, you yes, know, it's, it's like, why does the U.S., the U.S. is the only one willing to sort of let people criticize them. You know, it, it's like, where's well, no, the criticism I, of the whole world? Listen, look at folks. The reality is that the whole world used to be barbaric. OK. Yes. And, you know, some countries grew out of that uh, barbarianism faster than others. I mean, none of what happened in history was nice or fair or decent. But look, the evil uh, white Christians that were the founders of this country, they came up with the Constitution. 
That was mm-hmm. like that was like at the time unheard of. The whole concept mm-hmm. that you would have a document that would actually take rights away from government and give them to people. Like yes. nobody ever thought of that before. Maybe the Magna Carta did that a little bit, but you know, I mean, that was that was revolutionary. Okay, it's the single greatest document in history. Of course, it opinion. is. Yeah, I agree. And so. Again, I agree with you that we're hypercritical of the U.S. I don't look. I don't mind us being hypercritical of ourselves to improve. I mind when it becomes an overtaken and and gets used as a way to help destroy the great things we have today. When it becomes an attack on freedom of speech, when and it becomes there's an, no balance in it. There's no balance. Yes, and there's we, no balance. They never talk about the good things that these people did, like gave them trial by jury. Okay. Yes. You know. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's truly amazing. No, there, we should be celebrating the good as well. I can't uh, I can't disagree with that either. Yeah. My fundamental point was though that when when they use the language they use, then it is hard to challenge because it's a game of language. It's a game of, well, do you don't care about black lives? And you're like, I do care about black lives. You know, I care about. <laughs> I don't want to see people suffering if people are suffering. And then they go, well, then if you don't care about black lives matter, you don't care about black lives. They've made it so that it's impossible to criticize under the guise of. Like I said, under the guise of being socially fair or this is what what is right. And so it becomes very hard to have any free exchange of idea. Yeah. Well, you're not going to win this debate through logic. That's for sure. Frankly, I did a show last week and I think we're going to see a real secession movement in this country, sadly. But I think that's really going to take hold uh, through all this pressure. So we'll see where it goes. Give out your website or or whatever you want so people can follow you or learn more. The watch company is eggardwatches.com, E-G-A-R-D watches.com. And if they go on YouTube and they can see the Speak Truth video I did, which is very good if they just type in Speak Truth on uh, Eggard on YouTube. And if they want to see the new platform we started, it's Speak Truth USA, one word on uh, YouTube, and they'll see videos, interviews with police, everything. Excellent. And let's hope the thought police at YouTube and Google don't take that down. We'll, they restricted it, but we'll, that's fine. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. It really is. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.